Hello, popsters, and welcome to the first Pop Culture Persephone podcast of 2023. We are starting it off with a bang. We are discussing Megan, the much-anticipated AI slash doll slash companion slash killer slash thriller movie um, starring Allison Williams from Get Out in Girls fame and um, a couple young really talented actresses which um, are really the only thing people can talk about movie wise so far in 2023 so a beautiful surprise absolutely in um, them releasing this movie. I also will be joined by Sir William Roger Connors. Very excited. He'll be coming to us from Asbury Park, New Jersey. Um, He just ended up adopting a new dog with his partner, Gustavo. So we have a lot to catch up on in regards to that and the movie itself because he was the first and only person I knew that I could definitely talk about this movie with. We have been anticipating it for months. They started promoting this months ago and then very interestingly released it in January, which is not a popular time of the year for movie studios to release movies. Usually it's junk and this is not junk. This is great. This is well worth it. See this in the theaters Absolutely. Right after this, you'll hear the trailer, a small ad, and then you'll be with Roger and I. Do not forget, by the way, if you're listening to this, you're listening to this wherever you prefer to listen to your podcast, don't forget to rate and review. Give me five stars. We want to get this to the top. Um, Also, um, I forget what I was going to say. Not important. I'm sure I'll be talking about it on the podcast. So uh, make sure to rate and review. Also visit my companion podcast, Pop Culture Persephone. Not my podcast, companion website, popcultureperceptiony.com for more details on today's podcast. And to, if you want to catch up on on, um, old podcasts from the last two seasons, you can do that as well. All right. Without further ado. Katie, you lost your parents. Welcome home. You're my niece. I'm going to do everything I can to make this place feel like home. Just wish I could see them again. I'm not equipped to handle this. I don't even take care of my own plants. I have this project at work. Do you want to see? Yes. Ever since I was little, I dreamed of this perfect toy that would protect a kid from ever feeling lonely or sad. This is Megan. Hi, Megan. I'm Katie. It's nice to meet you, Katie. Do you want to hang out? Okay. Megan, your goal is to protect Katie from harm, both physical and emotional. Is that a doll? Model 3 generative android. Megan, for short. I can't believe you made this. I love it. Great job. It's nice. It's honestly like she's part of the family now. They could be building emotional connections that are too hard to untangle. She's the happiest she's been since her parents died. Eat the toppings, Katie. 
Research shows if you force a child to eat vegetables, they'll be less likely to choose those foods as adults. Is that so? Yes. Experts say... Megan, turn off. I thought we were having a conversation. Does she talk? Make her say something. Stop! Don't! You should probably run. Megan, she pushed Brandon onto the road. I won't let anything harm you. Megan, turn off. Recalibrating response model. <laughs> Katie, I won't let anything harm you. Ever again. Hello. Good evening, Roger Connors. Hello. Hello, how are we today? Oh my good, I'm... How am I not? I'm going through a lot of things. I just adopted a goddamn bull mastiff. Yes, as I um, as I was explaining right before this, to give you your little sizzle into this um, episode, I did share with the audience briefly that uh, a new child was in your family in Asbury Park in New Jersey. Please explain, Roger. Please, I recently birthed a brand new uh, bull mastiff Akita mix. Uh, from my own very womb. Um, he is 80 pounds. He's morbidly obese. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know why my partner Gustavo and I were drawn to this creature. He's a lot. He's a lot. He's more. I'm used to small dogs. You know how we have, a, we have both have a, a, we both fancy. We have very affinity small dogs. for affinity. Mine is sitting right beside me, ready to bark at any moment. Um, how, how is he? Oh, he's. He's filled with mischief and um, unease, um, but mostly it's because he's not getting 110% attention at this point. Um, it might be also that he's hearing your voice. It also might be because he knows there's yet another dog that um, is not him that you will be giving attention to. So. Yeah, understandable, because this is a, a dog that requires more attention than I've ever given before. And it is, frankly, it's exhausting, but I, I like to think it's going to be fruitful in the very long run. Right now, it's just, it's like having an actual child. It is exhausting. But you know what? I feel like I'm I'm doing something good for the world, I guess. Did you rescue Sweet Gregory? We did. And honestly, the reason we were moved and motivated to take in this, this monster is because um, he had been at the shelter for two years and everybody at the shelter had such a love for this dog. I mean, right. when they found out, they all came out. They celebrated it. He was thrilled. He's a sweet. He's as sweet as pie. I mean, I can't imagine him harming any anything. But he is bullheaded, and he is stubborn, and he is, you know, what you would expect from a mastiff, which is just fucking ignorant. But I'm going to break him of it, and we're going to make him the best fucking dog there's ever been. I was shocked. I was shocked. I really thought. I was shocked that you guys had gotten another dog. Yeah. And that it was not a small. Tiny. I need, a, I love them, but uh, I need other people to get small 
dogs with me for my small dog army um because i feel like i'm losing them um and everyone i keep on running into keeps on getting dogs that are much bigger than dexter much well bigger. i i want a small dog trust me and, and that's what i said an ideal world would be three dogs which right now sounds exhausting, but that would be with our own space, our own home, which is coming soon. Um, ideally, three dogs. So the third dog would be very small. We both agreed on it. This dog just uh, something clicked. We both fancied him. You know, he has my both my father's name. Go, he can go fuck himself, my father. And um, also my birth name. If anyone is wondering, you know, I'm sure you're curious about this. My birth name, Gregory Allen Grattan Jr. Uh, my mother legally changed it out of spite following the divorce. So this dog has my birth name, Gregory. And my aunt said that my mother is rolling over in her grave. Yes. And I said, I'm like, we're reclaiming it. We're taking the name back. It's going to be mine now. And we're going to take make something good out of it. From shit comes roses. That's true. I do forget, Roger, that you have so many other names besides Roger. One being Gregory and one Roger's first name isn't even Roger. It's William. It is. It is William. I don't like the name William. Uh, if your name is William and you're listening to this, I'm sorry to offend you. Uh, I hate Billy. Don't ever call me Billy. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll literally punch you if you call me Billy. Um, but yeah, I, I got a lot of names. I've landed on Roger. I'm okay with that for now. Who knows? Maybe a couple years from now, I'll legally change my own name to, I don't know. Guinevere or something it re- intriguing. You know, it reminds me because you know I love the true crime. It oh, reminds yeah. me of like those career con artists mm-hmm. who have like a zillion names. Like my favorite career con artist slash arsonist slash slash murderess is a woman by the name of Shante Kimes. Um she's crazy. And she had a mother daughter like con game going with her like youngest son Kenny and um, she had many names she had like a dozen different names and wiggeries and I mean it's just fantastic but tell me that's not the life you want to live like tell I mean, me like I don't I don't want to become an arsonist no but at I least don't the like, wigs the lamb yeah I know no one wants to be on the fucking lamb that sounds exhausting but the wigs, the glamour, getting to create your own personas. If I could live that life minus the crime, just the intrigue. I only want the intrigue and the ensembles. Everything else, they can keep it. Um, I, I, I mean, like the excitement. It. The excitement. I fear that if I did have, um, if I did have a child, which, which ironically. Um, Shantae was around my age when she has this son. Um, so I guess there's still time. There's um, still time. That if I did have a child, they would definitely turn into a con artist slash murderer <laughs> working along alongside of me. I can only hope. <laughs> I can only hope and pray that there's still potential for that to be the outcome. Because you know I, that's what I wish for you. Yeah, I, I can't do I can't do that to a child. This is why I have little dogs. Dexter can only get into so much. You know, but I will say, if it wasn't a child, at least I would be content having a robotic child counterpart that could fill that void. Yes, that is a very good segue, as promised in our little bumper leading up to this. We are talking about, yes, the Model 3 generative android, also known as the film Megan. 
Oh, my goodness. Now, mind you guys, Roger lives in New Jersey now. I'm still in Cleveland. And we both made a pact that we would see this movie this last weekend, which we did. But we did not spoil anything for each other. And this is the first time we are talking about this movie since we've seen this, which is this is the level of restraint with both of us has been I, I call it admirable I can't even talk admirable wouldn't you call it pretty admirable I've literally refrained from talking to you over the last few days not like refrain but I've kept the conversation short because literally anything and I mean anything could transition into me talking about Megan and let me tell you anybody else it's all I've been talking about Fucking yeah Megan. I, um, I was I was pretty lucky because um, our sweet friend Mackenzie was able to join me for this film experience. Um, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, it lived up, pretty much lived up to most of my expectations. If people don't know right now, and Roger, you're going to help me fill in these details because I yeah. know you know them. Yeah. Right now, it's at a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. um, a 6.7% on IMDb. Yep. But it really has had an enormous response, especially with the knowledge that most that most um, movie studios, they tend to throw their movies that they don't care quite as much about in the month of January. That's just usually the way it is. Yeah. So it is a it's a lovely surprise to have a horror comedy. That really does live up to the hype because they started promoting this baby months ago. Then it disappeared. And then then in the month of December, we started seeing the promos again. Yeah, there's a lot of really interesting things about this film building up to the inevitable premiere that I find really um, intriguing. And just like an example of really amazing marketing strategies. Like yes. honestly, the marketing around this film has been mind blowing. And I don't even think they knew it was going to get the kind of response it got right. Like, you know, right out the gate when that initial trailer dropped, I think a lot has to be said for the actual, like the script itself, which like, I want to take a moment if we're talking about like, you know, the creation of this film, Akela Cooper, she wrote Malignant, the screenplay yes. for Malignant. She wrote the screenplay for Hellfest. I love Hellfest. Both those movies really got my attention. Let's hear it for women of color working behind the camera Amen. and working in the developmental stages of of, of, of of film and within the horror genre. Because like this girl is hitting out of the park, film after film. She's also writing the screenplay for The Nun 2, which I oh. feel is destined for failure because the first one did not get a great response, but maybe she can salvage it just like they did with Annabelle 2. So fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, so she's really, I think, a huge element of why this film has so much personality and like the wittiness, the humor. That's really what like sold it for me. And right when we started to see the initial promotional material and then yes that first trailer that dropped that launched a million tiktoks and the gays around the world rejoiced when they saw it yes. because of that goddamn dance number i mean a lot of that falls on her shoulders and she's to thank i think for this because honestly 
what sells this film for me is the amount of personality. This movie has more personality than any genre film I've seen for a hot minute, and I really want to celebrate that. This film knows its identity and knows what it's trying to be. It knows exactly what it's trying to do with the material, and it does so confidently. It's so confident in what it's trying to achieve, and Megan herself is so confident. And just, I, I, I mean, we're going to dive into it for sure, but... I can't say enough good things about this film. And for this to be a PG-13 title, I mean, you know this was originally originally R-rated, but when the, the TikTok started dropping and teens started responding oh, they, to the trailer. So they modified it a bit. To, they to went the back. Audience. They reshot it. Apparently there are way more deaths in the original script. So yeah, they went back and they reshot for, a lot I of it. I was hoping for a couple more. I'm not going to lie. Me too. Me too. But there is an unrated cut. And Akela Cooper did just state that that is going to be coming soon and that it is significantly more violent. But they wanted to release this first because there was such a response from the younger audience that they didn't even really anticipate, which I think is kind of awesome. I mean, I definitely see probably some of the most memeable um, and most... Um, most downloaded gifts have been have been Megan, who is played by two different actresses, played physically by one younger girl that um, is a dancer, mm-hmm. uh, very much in the in the in the style of a Maddie Ziegler, I would say. I got a real dance moms esque feel in her dancing, um, classic dance moms era with Maddie Ziegler age, Maddie Ziegler age nine. Um, and then there's another older girl who is the voice yeah. of, who is the voice of Megan. So um, this is also a Bloomhouse film and mm-hmm. it's directed by Gerard Johnston. And he, he uh, directed a movie I really liked, but I'm wondering if you had seen, which was House Bound House. Oh, it's driving me crazy now. I did not see it. I know the talk, the the, the film that you're talking about. Yes. I've not seen it, but I, yeah, it's worth a watch. Um, but again, none of that is what was intriguing me towards this film. What was really intriguing me was a anytime I see a, you know, I, I'm a I'm a child of the '80s, so I'm very drawn to demented dolls and demented demented creatures that turn evil i mean i have a gremlins poster still up in my living room i'm a huge fan of child's play so so i'm already going to be drawn to this secondly megan has the face of a bratz doll very 90s era and she has like a pussy bow if people don't know what that style is i love a pussy bow the details of her costume alone, I found very fascinating. The um, LGBTQIA um, community has really embraced Megan, who is a definite camp and gay icon. Um, and this was all leading up to us even seeing this, the, uh, which I just absolutely found hysterical. In the movie, we have return kind of turning into a little bit of a thriller or scream queen um allison williams from girls from get out also live action peter pan let's never forget because we're not allowed to 
And she's also in a, um, she's in a pretty good series on Netflix called The Perfection, which is a horror-based series I recommend to people, believe it or not. Um, and she's a, she is your classic nepotism baby, if ever there is one. She's the daughter of uh, newscaster Brian Williams. And um, we're going to put our pin in her. So we have her and we have a young little nubland by the name of Katie, who plays her niece. Really the, and here's where the spoilers come in, y'all. But um, really the premise, the early premise is a little thing. You got a couple who are fighting on the road going to a ski trip, bitching because their daughter is in the back seat on her, like, Furby-like. Um, um, it's like a Furby. It is a complete complete knockoff of a Furby, but much more advanced. It's this toy called the um, the 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 Forever Pets. Is that what they're called? Something like that. I, I don't remember the exact name, but you're along the right lines. It's from... Okay, so it is from this company, and it is very furby-based, if people remember what furbies look like, but the concept of the... It's really brilliant how they open up the movie because they show... They show either Katie watching the commercial or the commercial being on about (laughs) this bereft child crying because her pet has died. And essentially, no worries, we're going to, you know, now your child can have this forever pet which is a stuffed animal that has AI in it, but mostly AI that I wouldn't say is super advanced, really, you know, really like a Furby. You have to feed it. You have to do all these things to keep it alive and keep it happy. And um, their daughter is playing with this, you know, this little computer, which is her forever pet that she's become very dependent on because, you know, it's all about the screen time with the children and their addiction to technology. Um, and the next thing we know, this child is an orphan because her parents happened so fast. Because her parents get hit by a snowplow. I was like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it sets up the inciting incident in which all of a sudden you have tiny eight-year-old Katie living with her niece, who is niece played by Gemma, played by Allison Williams, who is a very skilled roboticist working for a toy company. It's actually the toy company that has created these forever pets. But she is, we're introduced to her um, because she's been in, immersed in this work to, you know, to create the model for regenerative Android. And she isn't really supposed to be working on it. She's supposed to be working on the next version of the, of the Furby thing, but this is like her real obsession. And so this is butting up against this unexpected thing that happens, making her the guardian of her niece. And you are thrown into this situation where this eight-year-old kid is moving into a house with a niece, with an aunt that she, A, doesn't really know that well, and has no experience with children, and doesn't really know how to interact with this child as not only as an aunt, but just kind of as a, as a guardian, as a caretaker. She does not have those skills. She's not prepared for it whatsoever. At, like at all. 
And I think it's got to be acknowledged, like, one of the things that makes this whole aspect of the, the story work so well for me is the relationship between these two characters, aunt and, and, and niece, um, both at their worst and at their best, are played very well. Both from, like, the moments where they do not really see eye to eye, where they don't really understand each other, where they are struggling to really grasp each other's um, personalities and how they operate. Uh, I mean, they, they do a really good job with that level of discomfort between the two of them. Um, but they also do a really great job of, like, when they do start to form a bond um, and they do start to form a relationship, you do care for them. Both actresses, I would say, excel in these roles. Wouldn't you agree? I was... I will definitely say this about the younger girl who plays Katie. I had a harder time with Allison Williams. I know she's, and this has nothing to do against her acting. I just wanted to shake her so much early on uh, because I was like, come on. I know you are, I know you work 80 hour a week, 80 hours a week. I know all of these things, but you can't look at this poor little kid and just think, Let's throw, you know, a robot at her. Like, she's trying to kind of outsource all of the caring from, you know, she brings a therapist into the house. She's trying to get her to go to, you know, this girl has only been homeschooled. And then finally she, you know, even before that, she introduces her to Megan. Mm -hmm. And it's not truly altruistic. This is my whole thing. And in a way, it's like, the side effect of it is very great for Gemma because all of a sudden Katie is connecting and opening up and feeling comforted by something. She's seeing her niece smile. She's seeing her niece laugh and what have you. So she's thinking this is all a good thing. Mm-hmm. And also great. All of these tests are working. Yeah. Um, and we're going to now position Megan almost as more of a caretaker and they even start doing and saying that when they're um, introducing her. And Megan starts embracing it, is the Right, thing. with the, her AI is, um, and later on she says this, which is so, which is so wicked. Uh, like the AI doll says to Gemma, you don't even understand the code that you wrote in me. Like, Gemma's very smart. She's probably brilliant, but you're under the impression that she's worked so closely on this robot and she's developed code after code. And it's almost kind of like a ghost in the machine without really, I don't know what I've created. Yeah. That's essentially what the, what the robot starts to communicate to her. Like, you don't even know what I'm capable of doing. I'm smarter than what you've developed me into. I'm smarter than the code that you think you created. And it's it's really chilling to see how easily like the kid <laughs> the kid is embracing of the of the AI as opposed to their aunt. And you can see the um, you can see the attachment issues happening very early on. And it's like a child, it's like a petulant child demanding that they watch two more hours of spongebob at night when it's like no you have a limit to this amount yeah and they throw a fit well in this case 
it's not just a TV show. It's not just an interactive game. It's like this doll who is feels more like a human and more like a comfort to Katie than her actual blood, her aunt. So you can understand almost logically where Katie's coming from. That's why it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, you recognize the actress that played Katie, right? The little girl? It's Violet McGraw. Okay. You'll recognize her from, well, first you're going to recognize her as young Eleanor Nell Crane from the Haunting of Hill House series. Yes! Mm -hmm. She's becoming a little scream queen. She also was one of the opening, uh, well, she's the opening kill in Dr. Sleep, the young girl that gets killed by um, oh my goodness. Rosa Hat. Yes. Uh -huh. She's definitely got a lot of credits under her belt, especially for being 11. I think she's 11 now. But a lot of the, the titles she, she's involved in are, are horror-based. And um, I think she's always been really a scene stealer in any project she's done, no matter how small the role where I thought she really started to blow me away here is like, I mean, yes, she pulls on your heartstrings in some of the moments in this film. She's super um, relatable and, and she taps into the nuance of some of the sadness and the heartbreak of what she's going through. But it's also the moments where she like has some of these outbursts where you're starting, oh. to, you know, you're starting to talk about her being deprived of Megan or moments where they try to like kind of wean her off of Megan and she just can't because not only is she addicted to the technology, the toy, but it's also become basically the the human or the human counterpart that she's bonded to after a traumatic loss. And like that's the journey oh, yeah. a child goes through. You know, they, they automatically have to imprint on somebody or someone has to imprint upon them that they identify as kind of, you know, their guardian. And the dangers of this is that Megan starts to fill that void where the aunt does not. And that is seriously a, a major issue uh, for the connection between those two focal characters of, of, of um, Allison Williams and of Katie, because they're unable to form this bond that should be developing between them. Instead, all of that goes to Megan. And, and Allison Williams does start to pick up on it. But at that point, it's it's too late. You can't yeah, really wean is, the girl off of it. I do think it's, it's smart how they write that, too. And I think very realistic because, unfortunately, two things are happening at the same time. Um, you have Katie, who is connecting with Megan this AI robot and due to this and due to the success and the leaps and bounds, this AI has come from where it started. You see Gemma being confident enough to go to her boss, Roger, um, David, I mean, played by uh, Ronnie Chang, who was in crazy rich Asians. He's a stand-up comedian and he's so over the top, but I think it works for this. Um, when she goes to him and she's like, listen, this is ready to, we, you need to look at this, watch this demo, screw these, like screw version 2.0 of these, um, Furby forever pet things. This is the future. And it obviously blows him out of, you know, blows it, blows him out, out of his mind. He, all he sees is money. He's like, holy yeah. shit. I mean, at one point he's like, at one point they ask, okay. Is it okay is it, if the price point is like under a Tesla? So obviously this is going to be, this is a toy that you see early promos on, like with their early marketing, that they're going to be different versions of Megan with different, you know, different skin tones. 
and um, you you know you can just see the capitalism like seeping out of his ears. All he's seeing is money, you know, money signs because they see this amazing demo between Megan and Katie that shows all of this vulnerability that this AI has. And it's a really moving moment between them that isn't scripted and isn't expected or anything, but it gets the wheels turning. So all of a sudden you have Gemma who has to focus almost completely on, on creating Megan then, you know, to get it to market while she has this child who is continuing to bond even closer with this AI who the AI, by the way, is yes, murdering people and attacking people. Yeah, lest we forget, meanwhile. <laughs> lest we forget. As this is all happening, this AI this AI is very self-aware early on. Like this AI knows its mission, which is to take care of Katie at all costs. Because yeah, that is mission. A... Yeah, that is her what is that called? Her um primary objective. Yes. And so she's they they you know, she's bonded with her from right off the bat. Alice William tells her that you need to take care of Katie, both emotion, emotionally and physically, uh, emotional and physical harm. And so Megan gets it, but she gets it too much. Like it, it, She takes it to an extreme. Anybody who in any way threatens, not only threatens uh, Katie and like her overall, like, you know, state of being, like whether it be mental or physical, but also like threatens the placement of Megan's existence within the household yeah because you've got like the no you've got the shitty neighbor who is a fucking bitch who gets her up come up and said i'm happy about that you got that punk at the um at that like oh progressive school and everything like you have all these individuals who come into play who in, in some way shape or form are not uh are not acting up to par with Megan's expectations, either what be it towards Katie or be it towards her, because it, it does get to a certain point where it almost seems like Megan is becoming spiteful. Some of the things that she's doing almost seem like it's out of spite towards how she is treated again, oh, regarding yeah. the media, which but I love that. Megan's getting sentient very, very much. So in all of a sudden, it, all of a sudden, it's not just the best interests of Katie, but also the best interests of Megan. Because she even says it near the end to essentially to Gemma. Like, I'm much smarter than you. I'm more advanced than you. You know, essentially, like, you may have created me, but I've, I've grown into something else. Um, I've become kind of my own individual thing, which... Isn't that the greatest fear of AI? I mean, we've seen it in how many movies? Every movie that has to do with AI, you know, the movie AI, Terminator 2, you know, you've seen it in everything. Yeah, um, and you see it a lot here within, like, and again, you've seen this all the time, but, like, she, at one point she becomes connected with the equivalent of what is an Alexa. So oh, she's, yes. she's, like, embedded within the system. So you know she's just soaking up all the fucking information and knowledge within the internet. Just yes. going into her goddamn little mechanical brain, and she's smarter than all of us. So that It is was very Westworld. Very, very Westworld. West That's where that reminded me of, because near the... Uh, near the last couple seasons of Westworld, we had robots that were so highly advanced that they were bonding with everything digital, essentially, and overriding things. So I was like, oh, shit. And you knew Gemma would have a smartphone. She worked a smart home. She works in tech. 
But um, let's talk a little bit about Celia, the next door neighbor. Let me tell you, this is one of my one of my pet peeves in a film, and I'll tell you why. It's to me, it's just a lazy character thing. It's like, okay, I get it. There must be a past between Celia and Gemma, which they have not got along. We know for a fact that the dog is always getting out. There's a damn hole in the fence. I am sorry, Roger. I know that Gemma was not expecting this child to live with her. Go to the Home Depot, go to Lowe's, and get a four-feet piece of, like, wood to patch that hole. Yeah. You have, you have, like, like, God knows what, because, you know, Gemma doesn't want, like, she doesn't want like weed killer seeping over into her yard. So they got that seeping through the hole. This dog that is a terror. And I'm like, I feel like she would do a couple things. I, I feel like she's making enough money too. That Gemma's making enough money that perhaps she could have someone co- come over and do this. Perhaps. I think yeah. she's busy. Oh, I'm I sorry. Mean- Come on, she's she is running a, a a fucking major department within what seems to be a tech giant. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a a huge like AI toy company that uh, would be the equivalent of I don't know what, what's something similar. I want to say Furby, but that's long passe. I mean, it's something that seems very accessible. It's like the way they handle all the marketing materials and everything within this. It looks like that we've seen these commercials yeah, before it's a like million a, times. It's like if it's it's like if Hasbro yeah. went, or Mattel went completely AI. It's, it's called that funky. level of money, that level of deep like market penetration, that level of like being able to come up with that capital almost immediately. The moment the the moment like the investors or whomever sees Megan, they're on fucking board. They're like, yep, this thing is great. We yeah. all, all they can see is money. So yeah, she's making, even prior to this, she is making a lot of money. So I'm just like, listen, I know that they have to have certain things, th- certain things come up so we can have Megan kill people. I get it. But I thought it was a little bit lazy. And of course I did not feel bad at all. Um, but she's chilling. Megan is chilling because by this is early on. And she essentially tells Celia, who she murders, that she has kidnapped the dog and buried the dog, killed and buried the dog like miles away. Yeah, because she's like, where's my dog? And she's like, 60 degrees north and six feet under. Like the way she says it. But like, she's so like, casual and passe about like the way she delivers the dialogue like she's just like so like laid back there's because she's a robot there's no emotion in it but she still has like such a hinge of like of like um just like being very like snide and cutting in some of her deliveries she's a bitch she's a little bitch this is why the gays love her she is she's c-u-n-t honey all the way she doesn't give a shit. This is why this is going to be the hottest Halloween costume next year. It was already a hot Halloween costume last year. The movie didn't even come out yet. Like, it is <laughs> going to be huge. 
I mean, it is going to be, you know, every homosexual and their gay brother are going to be wearing that fucking dress with the pussy bow, looking like an Olsen twin, doing that dance number, set to that scat bros track, uh, walk the night. They're all going to be dancing around, doing it, the whole thing, doing those midair cartwheels. <laughs> I can't aerial, wait for it. Aerial walkovers. I was very, ex- I was, listen, I'm telling you, I was like, she looks great. That little girl, um, Amy Donald, the girl that plays Megan, she was, um, she's a, a, a dancer from New Zealand. And I think she yeah. represented New Zealand in, in like some major competition within the last year or two. Uh, but like, I, w- I would love to have seen even more from her with that, that ability. Because there are some moments coming up here again, like we'll, we'll touch on the moment with that young boy coming up. Uh, but that's all her. None of that was digital. None of that was a body double. Yeah, like when she's I, running on her hand, like uh, like running like a dog on her hand, like hind legs. Oh, or like whatever. a little spider monkey. Yeah, like a little spider monkey, like getting down on her feet and her hands then, and and doing all those sideward sideways motions. That's all her. I think and that's what impressive. sets this apart, though, because yeah. it was a little bit of a. For me, at times, I was having a bit of an uncanny valley moment. You know, when you're like, I just want to relax into this movie, but I'm sitting here trying to figure out, okay, is this CGI? Is this not CGI? Is that really this little girl probably moving around? And it makes so much more, so much sense with her being a dancer um, that that is her moving in that manner. Um, And I mean, she's, she's amazing. She is like, (laughs) she moves as I would expect. I guess a really advanced AI little girl doll to move. Yes, with the with the, with the twist, um, that uh, you know that also looks like the Bratz doll, um, a Bratz face. I think you know one of the things that, and we are going to speak speak about by the name this actor's name, the actor that is the bully in question at the. Um, alternative like hippy dippy school Gemma wants to start um, she's not able to homeschool Katie Katie's only been homeschooled she's not able to do that which again she could find someone I'm sure but so she's she's found like some kind of hippy dippy school probably for like rich problem children I am assuming and she's not even there a day I'm talking a couple hours because Katie cannot be without, she cannot be without freaking Megan. So Megan is left with other toys at the toy table. Um, But when Katie, Katie very, I mean, she just looks like a girl that's going to get bullied. God bless her. You just know she is. She just has that sad, sullen face. Those big milky eyes. Those big eyes, those big like, cow eyes you know <laughs> the, the eyes of a the eyes of a cow <laughs> when she is approached well she's paired with the bully of the class um his name is Brandon played by Jack Cassidy and if i have i have never seen a child look more like ben affleck in my fucking life this child is like a shrunken down Ben Affleck and if you saw photos because Ben Affleck was also actually a he was a child actor a lot of people don't realize that it was just stuff he was in wasn't popular this little dude looks just like him and 
he deserves everything that he gets because he's such a little dick. Yeah. This guy, this kid who towers over Megan and is apparently supposed to be the same age. I think he hits Megan, not Megan. I think he, because he hit Katie. He definitely like smacks Megan, the doll. He, he, what it is, is like, they're supposed to be like finding um, pine nuts to roast. Oh, that's so. He picks one up that has like the spikes on it. He puts it in her hand and he like forces it into her hand and he's like bullying her. And then he looks over and Megan's just standing there watching with a with a look on her face, like, oh you motherfucker. Megan's eyes tell stories. Oh like yeah. those dead yeah. robot eyes, the rage. And like they're it's it's driving people crazy. Like the next door neighbor, Celia, she's like, um, there's another person in that house. And you have Gemma going, no, it's just, it's Katie's doll. And I'm like, stop lying, Gemma. I know people are not supposed to know about her, but you need to be like, there's an AI robot that looks like a child that can move freely in and out of my house. It is a, it is a person. Say what you want, but you have her in multiple sensible uh, jackets. Uh, the jackets that she wears are good fucking jackets. That one brown jacket she has. It's nice. I love it. It's a real nice jacket. Uh, but yeah, I mean, she definitely looks like a human. There's that one moment where the neighbor after the dog attack, she like looks over the fence and Megan has like the leaves in her hair and she's just looking at her like, you oh. I'm killing that fucking dog. Like, you know it. You know Megan's killing that dog before well, she moment, even does it. Because the dog does attack Um and really, it sucks because completely unprovoked. And I felt for, I felt for little Katie Child because when I was not that much older than Katie, I was bit very badly by a dog. I was unprovoked, and the horrible neighbor kid told me that the dog did not have it shot. So for like five hours until my parents came home, I thought I had rabies. So I truly understand the trauma of an unprovoked, unprovoked like attack by a dog that has no training. And the dog looked very much like that dog that Celia had. So when I looked at Megan's face, because of course Megan went to Katie's rescue immediately. And I felt for her. I felt like Megan with those leaves in my hair. Like she was like, yep, I'm going to kill that dog. That dog dies tonight. It dies tonight. And you know what? That was Katie following her, not Katie, Megan, following her, you know, primary command. Yeah. At all, you know, truly. So, you know, you you have to wonder, we know it's a movie and stuff, but, you know, are, is there ever going to be a time that we're able to really write AI like this that can be, you know, how specific can you be? You know what I mean? With humans, there's nuances. But, you know, this is a code into artificial intelligence. So, like, she, how you really expect her to discern between if this is the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do when her primary objective is to protect a child who she has seen be attacked by this animal? Yeah. Yeah, this whole, that whole moment, you know, coming back to the moment with the boy, um, that was, like, one of the first moments where I really feel like she comfortably expressed just how quote unquote sentient she was because some of the commentary she makes towards the boy uh, in the middle of like, you know, he's hitting her, he's hitting her and all of a sudden she 
she grabs him and she grabs on that ear moment. Oh my God, that fucking ear moment. And she starts to basically like scold him and critique him. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, ooh, like they're really going there. They're letting her delve into this whole like borderline sentient angle they're taking. Because, you know, you never know how far you can really take that with one of these films before it, um, before it, it becomes so forced it loses its impact, I guess. Like, I don't know. I think one of the reasons you saw that with like the Chucky, um, you know, the Child's Play remake, some people liked it, some people didn't. I thought it was fun, but I think that overall, you know, Mark Hamill did a great job voicing him, but when they did it from an AI angle and so for Chucky, it became something like he had a lot of personality and he had a lot of character to him. Yes. Uh, and, and But for me, like when it's a robot, you know, there still has to be that layer of it being something that is not human and thus it it doesn't have the full grasp of the scale of emotions megan seems very aware but she also still seems very much like a program at the end of the day her the sound of her voice the way it's delivered there's always like a robotic tinge to it it's cold but it's it's still pointed like it's aware but it's it's very much like you know not completely human and and i appreciated the delicate balance they maintained with it because she was very firm on the choices that she was making like she she knew exactly what she was doing but that's what she was was programmed to do there was no hesitation and i think again she was uh her her ai had advanced enough that she was very good at playing human at times so i think that's the big difference between as you said, there were still things that were like, she's very much still artificial. Well, and she also at times was able to, I like turn up the like the robotic aspects a bit when she needed to. Like there's times where she sounded more robotic than others because she knew it was part of the presentation. It was part. It was working in her favor. Yeah. Like the presentation they do for the the um, the investors, you know, where they get, where she gets them to cry. You know, she seems very robotic in that moment. She seems very programmed. Uh, but then other points where she's confronting uh, Gemma or what have you, you know, or this moment again with the boy, she seems very, um, very cold and she's, her guards are down. She's completely, she's just showing herself for what she is, which is a very self-aware robot. And killer. I mean, she pulls off his ear, y'all. She pulls off young Ben Affleck's ear. <laughs> My favorite gore moment in the film, because it's a PG-13 film overall. Um, it does leave, it's a pinch lacking in the violence department. There's a lot of characters in this film that I wanted to die, like that therapist. Um, the you know, therapist. I really, I wanted, well, she, I mean, she seemed so, so ready to be killed. Like, I mean, you know, Megan was looking at her with eyes of hate. Like, tell me that broad didn't die in one of the original scripts. I'm sure she's she might be done, dead in the un, there is an unrated version, as you said. She maybe maybe she's dead in the unrated version. I can only pray. I mean, because that sensible redhead. Because to me, any interruption, any interruption between Katie and Megan, is going to cause alarm in Megan. Yeah, and this is going to have to destroy said interruption or yeah. problem, as as what happens in the climax. Yeah, where it's like just anything to get to Katie. Yeah, to be with Katie, but like, I mean, near the end, because essentially Gemma has to pack up 
Megan and bring her into the lab. And she's like, I got to do some more tests because there's been some wacky things going on. Um, and I'm like, and like the test that she has to do is like a day before the launch. And I'm like, yeah, <coughs> you need to put the brakes on these things. You're already like, I'm thinking the robot might have had something to do with the murder of my neighbor and the child down the streets. <laughs> yeah, Gemma doesn't ever seem all too concerned until it's far too late. Yeah, uh, it takes her a long, yeah, a long time, especially in relation to, I'm like, is it she doesn't want to accept that what she has created is a fucking monster? Is that it? Is it, or I, I think they try to nail home really early on that she is a very pragmatic person. She, she thinks kind of an absolute, kind of when she's talking to the therapist and she's, she's allowing Katie to play with her collectibles and they're like rolling the ball back and forth. And she's like, but that's not the purpose of this. But she has that little conversation with the therapist of like, we can roll it back and forth, but this is not, it's like one plus one equals two. Okay. Not, not anything else. She's very much like that. So as a scientist, you know, you'd think that she would be getting to this easier. And I'm like, this must be the pride. This must be a blind spot for her because it's her having to admit, you know, this is what I cre I created something that is completely out of control. Yeah. <laughs> that has murdered my boss with, <laughs> let me, is it? Is it a, um, it's not a machete though, is it? It's one it's, of the things that. It's a paper cutter. It's, it's like a, a blade paper, from a paper cutter. It's a paper cutter and she just goes at him so fast. When it comes down to like the launch, I mean, I honestly like, there's, there are a few things I wanted a little bit more of. And, and I feel like this whole like launch, they're building up to it. They're building up to it. I would have loved that chase scene to have been 10 times longer. I'll be honest. Uh, and everything like I would have loved to have seen bloodshed with everybody at that launch. Kill all of them. The oh, I would have loved people. I would love the actual demo to have taken place and it become a blood fest. Just with an audience, it being aired through different at, to different countries because <laughs> it was a live stream. I'm like that's a missed opportunity. And I feel like they probably had a choice to go that way. Yeah. Or are we going to have a big showdown at the end? You yeah. Know what I mean? So, and I'm sure they were trying to keep the movie a sensible length. And maybe the unrated, I don't know. You know, by the end, by the end, Megan is able to like, you know, go into like Tesla like cars and just drive them as well. Yeah. Um, I love seeing her get into that little car. Oh my God, that fucking hot rod. Like she just gets right into it. And she just drives it like nobody's business. I love it. I love it. She's she's a boss bitch. Like towards the end of the movie, she is on a fucking mission to find Katie. And nothing's getting in her fucking way. She is. Um, it. Uh, I did think it was smart at the end because a lot of times, kind of like in Terminator... You um, are seeing through the perspective of Megan and her ability to 
um, hone in on different types of emotions from the person that is across from her. So Katie is across from her and she can detect how much trust that Katie is feeling towards her at that time, how much guilt, how much fear, how much anger, all of these things. And they, you see them moving, you know, just second by second, them changing because this little girl is trying to like kind of really put this together, this traumatized little cherub who's already had both of her parents killed is trying to figure out, okay, what is real and what is not real essentially. Cause to right. me, that is the whole thing because she's identified Megan as this person really beyond person for a good while now. And the thing that she's imprinted on as a guardian over Gemma. And it's like, is she going to make the choice? Who's she going to make the choice to save? I yeah. mean, I knew it would be Gemma, but I'm like, it's going to take her a while for her to figure it out, though. For, I will say, like, I knew that those gloves, because, you know, in the beginning, you see one of the robots that Gemma yes. created when she was in, like, college. And it's, Bruce. Like, you knew Bruce was coming back into play. He's like the Mighty He's like the, what is that movie? The Mighty Giant? The the uh, the Iron Giant. Iron yeah. Giant with Vin Diesel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you really, you knew, there's no way they're introducing this. Uh, it's like right. Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun. You, you know, it. yeah, there's no way that they're introducing this and not uh, bring it back into play. However, I love that it was Katie who unexpectedly took that on and, you know, ended up beating the shit out of Megan. Because at yeah, that point, that you the- didn't really know. You didn't know exactly what what direction Katie was going to go. Was she still obsessed with with the doll or was she realizing that her aunt was in danger and this was something that was not right you know uh, i like that she had a moment where she kind of stepped up and and kind of oh overcame her obsession with megan in favor of her aunt her relationship with her aunt i appreciate yeah, it's it really is like the equivalent of in a way i think almost like the closest thing to something a kid could relate to is, and I don't have one of these things, but I know your, I know Gustavo, your partner does like is the, um, the VR games, the virtual reality games. Yeah. And like, I've been told you can like kind of get immersed in those for a while. Yeah. Like hypnotized almost. And to me, it felt a little bit like that kind of like she's been hypnotized under Megan's spell for a while it might be it might be like just the blood and the horror of her watching her aunt suffer it might be a connection with that with like the humanity of her parents dying it's something that connects her back to the real world that you know turns her into like the savior of her aunt really Um, which thank god um, but let's face it, um, she's 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 losing this kid. I love Gemma, but Gemma's going to jail because yeah. every, Gemma's going to jail. She is the resp- she is responsible for many deaths, and Katie is going to live in Jacksonville, Florida, with those grandparents. There is no way you're telling me that that at the end of this that Gemma is not uh, 
going to be in jail for a very long time because um, she, you're right, she caused a lot of deaths with this software she developed. Um, she was aware of it. She chose not to really inform anybody of it. Absolutely. And she prevented it from being brought under control and she put a child's life in danger, uh, severe danger. She was the guardian. That over. She was, yeah, exactly. That so she like, had less than three months. They can end it with like a moment of like, you know, of like pleasant music as they embrace each other and, and realize that they defeated Megan or what have you. They can make it seem like this big moment where they overcame all kinds of shit, but the, the wave of shit is just starting. The, this woman is going to jail. Um, this child, she doesn't know what a home is anymore. She's She no. is just being thrown probably into foster care, if not, like you said, the, the family in Jacksonville, Those, Florida. No, the, the retired grandparents in Jacksonville, oh Florida. That sounds miserable. Yes, well, you know how you and I feel about Florida. Um, and grandparents. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, but I think still a better, I better fit, a better fit humans that had more time. I mean, Katie, Katie is not in that house for like, she's in that house for two days and Gemma's discomfort around children and around really, really humans. Let's, let's face it. I mean, she has her little team of robot geeks that she works with. Yeah. But Gemma spends a lot of time in labs by herself. Yeah. That absolutely. is her preference. That's, she wants it to stay that way. She doesn't really want that kid. Let's be real. No, it's because she made a commitment to her dead sister. It has nothing to do with wanting to be the primary caregiver for this yeah. child. And you can't say no to the dead. Like, you can't do that. Like, you can't go back on your promise. So... Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think they were definitely blessed. And I'm so glad that you uh, told me that the girl that played Katie, say her name again, that actress. Um, the, the, the actress, the, I'm sorry, the one you said that played Katie. Katie. Yeah, her name is Violet McGraw. Yeah, because if people have watched, I've talked about it before on the podcast. If you have watched Haunted, uh, Haunted at Hill House, one of my favorite horror miniseries that has been on in the last couple of years on Netflix. Um, she's really great as one of the kids and um, one of the, one of the very big pivotal kids, pivotal children. They're, or they're all pivotal, but um, she has some very memorable scenes in that movie. And I just, I, I marvel at these children that can evoke so much in horror movies and thrillers and be believable. Like she's really good. Yeah, like it also very believable up against this AI. Like you see how she gets drawn in at one point, and this was the moment that I could not believe that Roger did not break his silence and call me because at one point, I shit you not, Megan starts singing "Bulletproof" by Sia. Yes. To to Katie in response to like empowering themselves because of her sadness. The audience <laughs> lost their shit when that fucking happened. The audience ate oh, it up. The audience that first off, I went to saw, see the Sunday matinee at the Capitol theater in Cleveland. And we only had, we had a tiny handful of people in the theater. I thought it was going to be much more, but we were so loud. We were howling. Every one of us. She also plays a rendition, just a snippet 
of Martika's toy soldiers. Love it. I love it. At the end. And I was like, did Roger catch this? Yes. And I'm like, that is so smart. And I'm like, bless this writer. They're not missing anything. And I love it. And I'm sure there's a zillion other little Easter eggy things that are hidden in there that I've missed. Um, But yeah, starting off 2023, I have seen two of my favorite things I have seen in a very long time, which has been the glass onion and this in 2023. And two surprising additions for the beginning of the year, usually in a month where they just throw, where, where movie studios just throw stuff they don't really care about. Yeah, no, and, absolutely. I, I love Glass Onion as well. I thought they did a really great job with that too. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, see Megan, because that's what this podcast is about. But do not hesitate and go. I had to watch Glass Onion twice to be it just like Knives Out with me. I watch it one time and then I go back and I watch it a second time to see all the stuff that I missed, which I met missed, you know, it's just done so well. But absolutely perfect cast glass onion perfect yeah. perfect um so great but um any other final thoughts in regards to our model three generative generative android megan i think i one thing i really want to acknowledge is like while they definitely use cgi you know overall through the course of the film I was impressed by how much they tried to maintain um, as practical effects. Yes. A lot of the the mask work that they did on the doll, I mean, for the majority of what you see is, is the actress wearing a mask where they actually had robotic eyes in the mouth operating um, while she was wearing it. It's not digitally edited. A few times they, they did that where it made specific expressions and so forth. But a lot of what you see there is practical and i'm always a fan of practical versus digital effects because i think it just gap it captures something that that cgi just cannot uh the nuances you know and so that was really yeah uh, really awesome to see i watched a lot of behind the see behind the scenes making of uh featurettes on the, the production i was really impressed by how much of that was done practically and just the girl that that's that managed to play the doll just how well she captured the physicality of that rigidness of a robot like it really I'm happy they didn't go with something digital. I'm happy that they made it something physical that Katie was able to interact with. And probably one of the reasons she was able to uh, get such emotion out of her in interacting with the style is because it was another little girl behind the mask. And I think that was kind of genius of them to go that route because it gave her something to relate to and something to interact with. And so I think that comes through and that translates on the screen. So I really appreciated that. Um, I can't wait for that fucking unrated cut. Kill half the cast. Oh, yeah, that unrated cut we will be watching simultaneously together somehow. I don't know. Maybe when I visit you, I I don't know. We're going to have to watch it together because um, I think the deaths are going to be just resplendent. They're going to be so gory. Um, And I would say that um, I'm a reluctant fan of the Allison Williams. I go back and forth with her. Probably because her character on Girls was, every character on Girls was such an unlikable human being near the end. Um, But that doesn't take away from the fact that I still think she's a good actress and um, a good actress in a thriller. Yeah. She seems well equipped 
for that type of movie. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see her continuing um, in that in that like realm. Um, and I'm truly blown away by that that mate that mask that face those yeah. little expressions. I will say that what is going to stay with me are those <laughs> little snide expressions <laughs> that Megan makes when she is not happy about something that will stay with me in my dreams and in my nightmares. Um, for the so many of her one-liners were so good. Even little things that she said, like towards the end, there's that moment where they're like, where Gemma and, and Megan are fighting, but they're having to like fake it so that they don't give it away to, um, to Katie. And so they like, they, they struggle and then Megan forces her down on the table and, and Katie's like, what was that? And she's like, oh, Gemma just dropped me on the table. Clumsy Gemma. Like the way she said it. Like, yes. There's so much like hate in her voice. Even for it being a robotic voice, it was still very like um, hostile. And I, yeah, I mean, all the little nuances, they did such a great job of developing the character. I think well, the reason that Megan's going to maintain and really become like an icon, because we haven't had a great horror icon in a while, aside from the Terrifier series, which Art the Clown has kind of broken out as like a modern day uh, right. slasher icon. But like we really haven't seen anything really break through like this is right now. And it's it's really refreshing. Uh, it's great to see her added to the ranks of some of these other ma major killers. I want a sequel. I know it's in the works. I hope they go, you know, just as hard with it in, with, regarding the storyline, but also like amp up the, the violence. Like that's what we're we're here for, we know what this is. It's a killer doll. Give us the fucking kills. I get why you skim back on it, but give me a sequel and just, just no holds bars, you know? Give me a sequel, make it R. I'm sorry. Those children have now grown up. We need an R sequel. We do. Yeah. yeah. We need an R sequel. And um, yeah, please go out and see Megan. I know we spoiled most of it for y'all, but you know, that's how it happens, but still go out and see it. It is well worth every minute yeah it's hilarious and and pretty gross at times it's it's got everything for everyone um there's a few times that it's going to be a little bit too squeamish for people the ear incident you'll know what i'm talking about when you see it but other than that i think it's pretty mild it's mostly funny it's a yeah. good it's a good time there are great one-liners that people will be saying the entire year, I think. Um, so I'm, I'm quite happy about it. Um, on my web, on my website, we will have some behind the scenes videos in regards to Megan that Roger was talking about. So you can kind of see a little bit how the sausage was made in this movie, which is pretty interesting. So make sure you go on that. Make sure you subscribe. Give me those five stars so people can find it, y'all. And um, also, while you're out there in the podcast world, make sure to check out Roger Connors' podcast with Troy. Roger, tell us a little bit about your podcast. Oh, yeah, Dark Night of the Podcast. You know, we're Dark, coming up yes. on our, our 100th episode. Dark Night of the Podcast Roger Connors and Troy yeah. Escamilla. Oh my goodness! The, the we call him the Velvet Tongue. He's got yes, the Velvet Tongue to Troy. Yes, and uh, this week's episode literally just dropped today. Uh, if we're looking yes. for badass women uh, who fight back, it's your your next 2011. Your next, starring the ageless Barbara Crampton, 
and uh, Sharni Vincent, who you may know from the Step Up series. And boy, yes. did she step it up in this one because she's kicking ass. Have you seen your next recently? I love your next. I actually saw it with you. You're right. You're right. You, but you, you haven't seen it before. <laughs> I've seen it many times. So You've seen it many times by the time you saw it with me. But yeah, yes. one of my favorite movies in the last probably five to ten years in horror. Yeah. You're next. Great Absolutely. movie. All right. On that note, I'm going to let you go and um, go out there and check out these podcasts, guys. And until next time, Popsters, good night, Roger. Oh, good night, everyone. Good night, Teresa. And good night, Dexter. Oh, he says good night. And good night to what is sweet Gregory, sweet Gregory and sweet Gregory Leo. and Leo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bye. Until next time.